Good evening, dummies. This is Matt from Dun... I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Matt, don't unfriend me. Too much gamma. Turn that down. Brightness. A little bit of temperature. Okay. That's way too hot. That's good. Go down to six. Better. Brightness up. Good. Gamma back. All right, folks. Let's try this again. We'll see if I cut this out. Good evening, everybody. This is Matt from Don't Unfriend Me, episode 151, Wednesday, May 12th, 6.07 p.m. Sorry for the beginning. I just got really tired of hitting stop and re-record. So you get a little behind-the-scenes action. You get to see me adjust the lights and uh, reset and do it all again. I hope that was exciting. If it wasn't, I don't think there's much hope for the show. What are we doing tonight? Well, we're going to have a good one. Colorado Avalanche are playing this evening, which I am so excited about. We win, too, against one of the worst teams in hockey. That's usually a kiss of death for any team. But if we go ahead and win twice, the good news is that we are going to win the President's Cup. We will be first in the NHL, and that is exciting. The President's Cup is a little bit of a curse. Most teams that win the President's Cup over the last 25 years or so usually do not win. They usually out the first round or possibly the second round. But most often or not, the eight seed somehow comes in and disappoints them. It's going to work a little bit differently this year as you're facing the best four teams in the West, East, Canada, whatever. However, they have these broken up. It's now in basically you play the same eight teams. The point is, is it's going to work a little bit differently. And the eight seed, the the usually the underdog, isn't there. It's a like a second round team you're playing against. It's going to be a tough playoffs. It's going to be really fun. I'm excited. But here's the thing is the abs won in 2021 was the last time they won a cup. So 20, excuse me, 2021, geez, 2001, which is 20 years to the day. So it might be a good omen. Let's, and they won the president's cup that year and they won the Stanley cup. So let's see if we can find the magic and do it again. Folks No, this is not a sports show, but I told you, I talk about just about everything tonight. What are we talking about? I got to decide if I'm keeping this intro or not. I think I'm just going to roll with it. Gas lighting, or should I say no gas, just lighting. Actually, no lighting, just hacking. There is no more gas. We're all done. And if you don't have an electric car, you're FUQ'd. Is that the truth? Is that what's happening? Is that what's going on? Is it Joe Biden's fault? Let's talk about it. We'll do that tonight. Joe Biden's econ. Oh, me. Economy. We're going to talk about Joe Biden's economy and why, although things are looking good, usually it is darkest before dawn. Not in this case, it is brightest before twilight, which isn't true. It's actually noon. Assume it's noon, and then we fast forward seven, eight hours, and then it's twilight. That is where we are about to go into, into that quiet good night. Go gently into that good night. Go into an eclipse, but maybe we'll get a new moon. Maybe it'll break dawn. Edward, I'm glowing and shiny. Left of center thinking on Israel. Why does the left hate Israel? More importantly, why do they hate the Jews? The Jews? I, I don't understand. I certainly don't get it myself. Speaking of a Jew, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Kenny, if you're not Jewish, you are now because it's part of the joke, was vacationing in Israel. How did he get to Bethlehem? 
Easy, folks. He took the highway to the manger zone. A horrible intro. I'm going to keep it. Why not? Shit. Recorded from an undisclosed location. Always honest. Always direct. So sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, dummies, I appreciate it, and I thank you. The good news is most of the intros, I, I think, are left a little wanting. What are we doing tonight? We know what we're doing tonight. What do we do here? This is Don't Unfriend Me, where I walk you through current events, topics that kind of titulate my tingle spot. I'm not doing well tonight. Titulate my senses? I don't know. Initiate flicker on my cerebellum? Whatever. The point is, is we talk about things that I I consider to be interesting. And tonight, we're not going to break form. We're going to do the same thing as always. My name is Matthew Spear. I am your host, and I'll be walking you through this episode of Don't Unfriend Me. 151, I recorded last night the mic. I had a bad setting on it, and it was popping and hissing. And I will never release inferior audio, folks. I can't do that. Visually, I can do that all day long. But audio... These are my social handles. You can find me here on Facebook and Twitter and wherever. Oh, it's over here. No, it's over here. Uh, and you can go there and follow me. You can like, you subscribe. This is my first show, folks. I'm stuttering all over the place. I'm not doing anything correct. This is going to be a fun one. You can also like go over on YouTube and subscribe if you wouldn't mind and click the red envelope. And then lastly, my website, www.donutfriendme.com. You can follow me there. You can like, share, subscribe. Do not Veteran Crisis Hotline. Not my social. Not my. There we go. It's just fucked up as Hogan's goat. What is going on tonight? I need a reset. I. Hold on. Let me get one with myself. Shake. Vape. Pencil. <clears throat> All right. I'm sorry. I got to deliver. I feel horrible. I feel horrible. It's just not. It's just not happening. Don't unfriend me. We do current events. We do news, politics, sports, and other fun stuff. We can agree. We might disagree. You may love me. You may hate me. But in the end, all I ask is that you don't unfriend me. After tonight's intro, I wouldn't be surprised if I just lost most of my viewers. Gaslighting. We've all heard what's been going on. The colonial pipeline was shut down. And why? Was it a terrorist attack? Was it environmentalists? Was it a bird? Was it a plane? Was it super non-binary human being? No. Somebody hacked it. Who could it possibly be? Russia. And I think I have the reason why. But first, I'm going to talk about the gas shortage, which is impacting Virginia. I couldn't get into work today because my car is on empty because I went to the ocean, to the eastern shore, drove back and did not refill my vehicle. And then this happened. And of course, all the idiots who buy hordes of toilet paper who have basements full of the stuff are out hoarding gasoline by the cans. It's ridiculous. 
want to talk about ridiculous White House press secretary Jen Psaki addressed the fluctuating tone on the impacts of the colonial pipeline shutdown between admitting and denying a supply shortage. Well, it's kind of like the weather. I don't have a weather app. What I do is I go outside, I put my hand out, and if it gets wet, I know I need a jacket. Other than that, I pretty much just roll the dice. Anyone who has been trying to drive a car on the eastern seaboard and southern states over the last few days understands that there is most assuredly a gas crisis. By saying the administration used appropriate language in each moment would be an understatement. Quote, on Monday afternoon, we said at this moment, there is not a supply shortage that was accurate at this moment. This woman, she has a brain in her head. She told reporters and each reporter from there committed seppuku and disemboweled themselves for her stupidity. We also said, quote, we were continuing to monitor the situation very, very closely. I'm glad she put the second very in there. I wasn't quite convinced until then. What the impact will be, we had to anticipate there would be a range of impacts. On Monday afternoon, President Biden's Homeland Security Advisor, Elizabeth Sherwood Randall, anyone with three names, I have a problem with. I'm sorry, John Wilkes Booth. Uh, Hillary Rodham Clinton, need I say more, told reporters, right now there is not a supply shortage. Then, Monday evening, sucky said the White House was monitoring supply shortages. Quotes, we are monitoring supply shortages in parts of the Southeast and are evaluating every action the administration can take to mitigate the impact as much as possible, Saki said in a statement. Here's the thing. What happened? Well, let me, let me get through the rest and then I'll tell you. On Tuesday, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm denied that there were shortages, adding instead that there was a supply crunch. It's not that we have a gas, gasoline shortage. It's that we have this supply crunch and that things will be back to normal soon and that we're asking people not to hoard and know that we are all over this. Like herpes and gonorrhea. We know that we have gasoline. We just have to get it right to the right places, the secretary continued. But both EPA Administrator Michael Reagan and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg deemed the lack of gasoline at the pump in many southern states a shortage. How would Pete Buttigieg know? He doesn't drive his own car. He has an SUV where he gets on a bike and they drop him off like two blocks away. Isn't that right? Colonial Pipeline, which transports 45% of fuel used on the East Coast, It's basically 5,500 miles of pipeline. Extends all the way up to New Jersey, all the way down to Texas. The Eastern Seaboard relies on that to get their gas, natural gas, and uh, several other types of fuel. This shut down the entire operation Friday after a ransomware attack in which hackers typically lock up computer systems by encrypting data, paralyzing networks, and demand a large ransom to unscramble it. One million (sighs) dollars. Actually, a voice quite quite intuitive. I'm trying to kill him. The FBI has assigned blame to criminal group Darkseid. Ooh. Use the force, Luke. They are all living in basements. Now, don't hack me, fuckers, okay? I'm just kidding. Lighten up. Whose group members are Russian speakers? Dostevanya. Uh, Russia has denied involvement in the attack. Of course. Saki punted on a question of whether Colonial Pipeline paid the ransom. 
The guidance from the FBI is not to do that, Saki said while directing questions toward the company. In air quotes that she did not say, she said it's very, very bad. I will say that there is advice and guidance we get from the federal government because we know this incentivizes additional attacks, she said. That is guidance that's given from the FBI, but this is a private sector company, and I would refer you to them for any questions about what they have or have not paid. So they did. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Gas prices spiked above $3 per gallon this week, and some gas stations in states like Virginia, Florida, North Carolina, and Tennessee were fresh out of supply. Others saw lines dozens of cars deep and drivers loading up other vessels to store more gasoline. Buttigieg issued a stern warning to consumers not to store gas in anything but approved containers. (laughs) Instead of saying, we're going to fine you if we see you overfilling at the pump, we're actually going to ensure that we get every single truck available out to you. And yes, they lifted the eight-hour rule of driving up to 12, 16 hours and took off the time limit, which is great because we all want explosive ordnance full of hundreds of thousands of gallons of gasoline. When a guy's tweaked out on meth staying up driving that extra thousand miles, that sounds fantastic. But this isn't most assuredly a crisis. It's not a long-standing crisis, but it's enough. Gas is important. We've been all been home. I mean, we got to get back to work. It just seems like there's somebody pulling the levers every time we're about ready to open up the economy, get back to work, and have life go back to normal. Something happens. Go figure. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission put out a statement on Twitter, thank God, telling Americans not to store gasoline in plastic bags because plastic harms the environment, fuckheads. The EPA has issued a fuel waiver. I'm spitting all over the fuel waiver. Temporarily lifting environmental protection standards and the Department of Transportation waived our requirements allowing truck drivers to transport fuel by affected states beyond the 11-hour daily limits, like I just said. Granholm on Tuesday said Colonial Pipeline planned to begin a full reopening of its pipeline Wednesday evening and could be almost fully operational by the end of the week. Now, listen, there's something very large that Donald Trump did, if you guys remember, back about three three years ago. This was the whole Putin grab-ass story where Russia collusion, Russia, 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 was being talked about. And I apologize for my lack of professionalism tonight. I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm just going to roll with it. Over my mic. It's brand new. Thank God it's metal. Won't rust. <sighs> Russia was creating one of the largest pipelines in Europe. And this was all with the EU, and Russia wanted to enter the game and provide natural gas, gasoline, etc., for Europe. This was going to provide them billions of dollars, billions of dollars, and put Russia back on pace to be a thriving economy again. No matter all of the trade embargoes and all of the taxes that we've put on them and all of the sanctions we've put on them, This was going to put them as probably the second largest superpower in the United States, and we would be sucking hind tit behind Russia and China. Well, Donald Trump saved all of that, and honestly, probably will be one of his most prolific and important things that he did. He went to the world leaders of Europe and said, no, 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 don't buy gas from them. 
buy gas from us. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to get their pipeline shut down. We're going to do inspections. We're going to go ahead and have paperwork, fill this out, and block it. But until we can do that, we need you guys just simply not to buy. Let them go to Iran. That's fine. Let them give it to China. That's fine. But Europe should say no. Well, Markle and the rest were, you know, chicken pecking all over that. And when they got in front of the papers and the reporters, of course, they shot it down because Donald Trump is the devil. But they all did just that. And Russia lost out. Do you think they might be sore? Do you think they might be upset that we're energy independent? Probably. Russia was probably behind this attack. And whether it was a cyber terrorist group or not, that's more of a Robin Hood group. At least they say they get 50% of whatever they steal to the poor. You're stealing from me, fuckhead. You're taking money out of my pocket where I can't go to work or gasoline prices raised up. They're already 12 cents higher than they were last month, and they're going even higher. This is the beginning of this. And when we get into the Joe Biden economy, we'll learn more about it. But here's the problem that I have. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. You can't hack an election. You can't hack a Dominion computer. But you can fucking hack a pipeline? That essentially, have anyone seen Die Hard, the last one? Or the one before that where freaking uh, Timothy Oliphant like hacks the pipelines and blows up the pipe. Oh, oh, you freaking kidding me. Do you think that might be important? Kind of like our energy supply and water supply, but you can hack that shit. You can't hack an election. Fair enough. I can understand why the Democrats are sweeping this under the rug. Whenever they hear the word hack, they kind of get a twitch. Here's what it comes down to every single day. Every single day, we are attacked by every single country out there, whether it's Russia, whether it's China, where it's India, Korea, Sri Lanka, Kuala Lumpur, everybody hacks. And we do it too. We test each other's systems. The problem is, is that now they know that our systems are susceptible. And what could you do in five days that you couldn't have done last week to make this thing impenetrable? And why wasn't anyone watching? And why did nobody care? The CIA and the FBI dropped the ball yet again for the hundredth fucking time in the last 30 years? Most assuredly. So here's the problem. It's amazing. The moment that we take our eye off the ball and not focus on the things that are most important, like our Trident missile system, which is going to be obsolete shortly, how contaminated water supplies could spread something 10 times worse than COVID and hit a small town or an airport and then spread it across the world. We have to get smarter. We have to start thinking that this next war that we're going to fight is not going to be with bullets and knives and bombs. It's going to be digital landscape, ones and zeros. It will be a cyber war, and electronic intelligence will lead this fight. We need human intelligence in place. We need the best hackers in the world, and we need to be constantly improving our systems, or this will keep happening because groups like this now know one thing. It's open season on America, and our systems are vulnerable. They're not going to fix that shit in five days, no matter what they say. Joe Biden econ, oh me. You see what I'm doing there? I keep saying con, haha, funny, funny. Play on words. As Americans begin to move past the COVID-19 pandemic and finally get on with their lives, 
There's another crisis on the horizon. Of course there is. It's going to be on CNN any minute, I'm sure. Have you guys heard that they're now going to start giving vaccines to 12-year-olds? That's a whole other story. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But for the first time ever, in the last year at least, we are seeing COVID deaths on the decline. And we are beating this damn thing. And as we knew we all would. And what did it take? It's not a vaccine. Everyone knows that. It's just let's get back out there and let's just face this damn thing. Mask regulations have loosened up. States started saying, hey, you know what? We're just opening up and we're going to do it. Proved everybody wrong, including the World Health Organization, the CDC, Donald Trump's Dr. Fauci and the puppet masters and basically said, screw you, we're opening. And then nothing happened. This is one of President Joe Biden's own making, this crisis that's coming after more than a year of crushing lockdowns, which I have to say were not his fault. Keeping them going are absolutely his fault. But these schools and churches and our economy, job creators, are eager to once again unleash our economic engine and roar into the next decade. Unfortunately, there's one thing standing in the way, the radical Biden agenda. As the House and Senate congressional leadership meets with President Biden this week to discuss his misleading America jobs plan, they now have to consider last week's shocking jobs report and its undeniable implication that the Biden administration is warping the labor market with its counterproductive unemployment incentives and transformative socialist initiatives. Economists economists projected that America would add around 1 million jobs in April, and the projections seemed to make sense. With the vaccine rollout well underway, thanks to Operation Warp Speed Speed and Donald Trump, and our nation starting to reopen, most experts were predicting definitive evidence of a robust economic resurgence. Instead, we only added 266,000 jobs, of which 48,000 are government jobs. A devastating indication that something is very, very wrong with our current labor market. And everyone knows this. I've been hiring for seven positions for the last two months. We can't get people off unemployment. Why would you want to make $15 an hour at 40 hours a week, make a $400 paycheck a week, when you can make $600 on unemployment by doing absolutely nothing and filling out a stupid form on a computer? That's basically two questions. Did you get a job? Did you apply for jobs? How many? That's it. That's all they ask. And then you hit send and you get 600 bucks a week. This is the problem. It doesn't incentivize people to get off the tit of the government. What it does is it puts them in a lackadaisical state, an unmotivated state. And after a year of literally just lethargic drudgery of being home and locked away, we're not helping people anymore by staying home. Minimal jobs and menial jobs are almost impossible to fill right now because small Time job creators like the mom and pop grocery store or restaurants can't afford this. Gas stations can't afford this. And the problem with that is when will they ever? They keep punting it down the road. Now they've extended these benefits somewhere past September. And the whole point is, is that my wife makes $13 an hour at the yogurt store working 20 hours a week. She can get fired from that very easily. Just don't show up. And she could be making $600 a week, which is twice as much as she's making now by doing none of the work. It doesn't make much sense, does it? But this is what we hear from people. Hey, you want to come on back to work? No, no, I'm making more money not working. What? 
The report was so disastrous that even television anchors on liberal networks thought the numbers were wrong when they came in. Joe Biden has stifled our economy by dishing out unemployment payments on steroids. This is a bubble. The housing market. Listen, productivity costs for wood and nails and roofing. It's all going up by 25%. We have to raise our prices at work. Construction is absolutely an impossible field right now. You can't get cabinets. You can't get toilets. You can't get wood at Lowe's. A sheet of plywood's like 96 freaking dollars after overhead. It's like 56, 57 dollars at Home Depot and Lowe's. Something that you could get for 18 bucks before all of this. It's expensive now to build. The mixed messaging over wearing masks is also driving us crazy. And while people stay home and businesses go under or stay closed, Biden's big government spending plans are already causing inflation at a drastic state, and it's stalling the economy. Stocks went down for like the fourth day in a row because of this inflation dollar. We have stimulated the com- economy with trillions of dollars. Almost $5 trillion, $6 trillion has gone back into the U.S. economy, and we didn't earn any of it. It's just made up money. Of course, inflation and devaluation of our dollar is next. The price of gas and groceries are skyrocketing to the point that even Democrats are getting cold feet about additional multi-trillion dollar proposals. It appears as if President Biden is waging war on our American economy on three fronts. He's hurting businesses by paying people not to work. I want to be clear, not to work. He's weakening our purchasing power by flooding the economy with trillions in irresponsible spending, and he's causing confusion and fear with misdirection on masks and everything else. His press secretary has no idea what the hell's going on. And this was only a matter of time before we uncovered the Wizard of Oz that the only thing that Biden was going to do was write executive orders to basically undo what Trump did, but he doesn't have an original idea in his fucking head. Everyone knew it, but people voted for him anyway. This American economy war, like I said, is on these three fronts. Is American open for business or not? We have to ask the president that question, and why aren't people asking him that question? Are we open or are we not? Furthermore, the idea of now raising the corporate and individual tax rates, which would be catastrophic in our current economic climate, is starting to lose steam even in the Democratic Party. Representative Sean Maloney, New York, who is in charge of House Democrats' election efforts, told his colleagues that the new taxes would hurt vulnerable Democrats in 2022. He's correct. can't believe I said that. With all the uncertainty swirling around due to Biden's economic incompetence, Why should any entrepreneur or job creator cement plans to grow their business at this time? It's Economics 101 to understand that employers won't plan for the future if tax increases are coming down the pike. Why do you think there was a stall three months after the election? Nobody wanted to do anything. We finally have the faith to do it again. And now the writing is on the wall. Joe Biden is going to throttle our economy. Business owners of all sizes might be wise to sit tight before making any decisions on hiring, expanding, or launching a new initiative or product line in this atmosphere. Unless you're in construction, we'll have t-shirts soon, by the way. You can go to ValorHome.com and get them. They're going to look awesome. And we're going to expand. And the reason why is because we're in construction. It's lucrative. It's doing very, very well, but not the rest of America. 
Because if Biden's economic agenda is fully enacted, the onslaught of costly regulations and heavy-handed government mandates are going to swamp everything that's being attempted. It would make more sense for the American business community to invest in making sure House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer are routed at the polls in 2022 instead so we can get back to free market principles and an economy on fire like the one President Trump built before COVID-19 hit and arrived in the United States via China. Incredibly, it seems as if the White House response to the devastating unemployment situation is to keep digging by reinforcing the very government programs that are responsible for actually increasing the unemployment rate last month. GOP governors refused Biden's unemployment benefits. And when they did, this sent chills up and down the corridors of the White House. What do you mean they don't want our money? The states don't want our money? Why? A senior White House official recently told the Washington Post that the numbers illustrate the importance of providing robust unemployment support. The jobs report is the writing on the wall, and the Biden administration seems intent on interpreting it backwards. Thankfully, common sense is prevailing amongst conservative leaders. Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis was one of the many governors to announce that those receiving unemployment must demonstrate that they're actively looking for work. He more than likely will be the next vice president of the United States. DeSantis is making a name for himself. I'll vote for him. Members of the biased liberal media panned the idea, but they fell awfully silent when Biden admitted this week that seeking unemployment or seeking employment should be a necessity. The reality is that unless confronted, the insidious creep of the Democrats' nanny state is going to create an entire generation of people dependent on the whims of government and not on the strength of American entrepreneurial spirit and grit. Working hard and making a good living for your family is a foundation on which our economy is based. Without it, we lose our advantage over the rest of the world. American exceptionalism is rooted in our work. Make no mistake, we stand on the precipice of an economic crisis. America can't afford Joe Biden in the White House because he's squandering the economic recovery that President Trump handed him. Sadly, Trump derangement syndrome continues to drive the radical left's anger and Biden's bad decision. Why is anyone surprised? This is what they ran on, getting Trump out of office. Did anyone have an original idea? Did anyone hear an original idea? You didn't vote for Biden for because of his ideas. You voted for Biden because you're crazy. And a hell of a lot of people didn't vote for Biden, and they say we're crazy. The numbers are in, and honestly, there's no way. I've looked at the election results over and over ad nauseum. I don't believe it. I look at the polls now. I look at the way that he is represented on forums and social media. People don't like Joe Biden. They don't follow him like they did President Trump. He is not the most electable person in our nation's history. There's no chance he beat Barack Obama. That's a whole other story. It comes down to this. This bubble will most assuredly blow. In less than one year, my house has went up $125,000. That doesn't happen. There is a bubble here. Stocks are going to drop. When the money runs out and these trillions of dollars... People do not have anymore to stimulate growth in the economy. What do they have? All of those people on unemployment, that 6% number will drain on our productivity. We need to get back to work and we need to incentivize. Maybe you can offer training. Maybe you can offer free schooling. 
Maybe you can help small businesses offer bonuses to people instead of giving them to the people who aren't going to work ever and haven't been working by helping the people who really need the jobs to get back that 6%, actually about 4% of where we were when it was at an all-time low. Get those 4% back to work by giving them the money and stop handing out free money to people who don't fucking deserve it. Left of center thinking about Israel. I've had several shows on Israel. I'll link them right here. But I don't understand. Well, I do understand. I just don't condone the way the left talks about Israel. We've all seen the pictures of what's going on with Hezbollah and Hamas. And the war that's going on right now in Israel is escalating. Rockets are being sent into downtown. We're striking back. It's growing day by day. Israel is extremely important to our survival. Israel continues to be the demon poster child of the left. However, the prime example of a repressive regime and abuser of human rights is what they say. On the left, people became outraged and agitated over Israel more than over any other cause. Israel's supposed villainy will bring out protesters on cold, rainy days in a way no other issue can. Many of these people are earnest, but perhaps misled. In most ways, my political beliefs tend to be somewhat left when it comes to personal choices, but not a leftist. I don't support single-payer universal health care. I oppose the war in Iraq to an extent. And I think Bush Cheney, more Cheney, was an imperial presidency. I would never vote for Ralph Nader or Bernie Sanders. However, Like French philosopher Bernard-Henry Levy, I defer on Israel and reject the demonization of Israel. Whether at the United Nations, in the world media, or among among American and European leftists, if my uh, fellow peers and citizens of America, liberals, center of the road, or socialists think that boycotting, divestment, sanctions, movements will help bring an end to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, as well as peace to the Middle East and harmony to the community nations, they are sadly mistaken. There is a difference between criticism and demonization, and the campaign against Israel is of the latter. Criticism, and there is much of it within Israel's own healthy democracy, can result in positive change. However, there are some great things about Israel, and most of them are good. They are the one thing in the Middle East. They are a beacon of hope. They are the only standing democracy. Women have rights. Women can drive. Women can vote. Women can join the military. There is freedom, and you can say pretty much anything you want without being thrown in a jail cell. It is the closest thing to Western civilization in the Middle East. Let's not forget they are the chosen of people by God. That's also pretty important if you're religious. They are also an economic powerhouse in the region, and let's be completely honest. They keep Iran in check. But the focused attempt to demonize Israel, not undertaken against any other nation, is aimed at delegitimizing Israel and undermining its very existence, as if the problems of the world were the fault of the Israelis, the fault of the Jews. And if they would only go away, all would be better, the leftists believe. Not only is this a story a complete illusion and a fucking fabrication, but this concerted assault on Israel Israel itself betrays the principles of the left that they supposedly have. Here are the reasons leftists should be pro-Israel, or at least pro-peace rather than anti-Israel. Human rights. 
The left fights for human rights in the world. Even one thinks Israel or its soldiers guilty of human rights violations. I'm not willing at the outset to grant this point. There's no international or historical comparison that could reasonably rank Israel among the worst criminals of the world or of history. In fact, it's the opposite. They are the benefactors of being treated the worst out of anyone in the world. Well, I don't know. There's probably some people in Kenya and the Congo who would disagree with me. Whether we look at the scale of the conflict, the number of lives lost, or the treatment of the press or of dissidents, there are far too many examples of bloodshed and persecution dwarfing anything done by Israel against the Palestinians over the last four decades since the Six-Day War when Israel was attacked by its neighbors. Even Arab treatment of Palestinians, such as in Jordan's Black September Massacre, caused thousands of deaths possibly more in 10 days than in four decades of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And how can we compare Israel to Magab's Zimbabwe or Chinese crackdown on Tibet and Tiananmen or the disappearances of death squads of Latin America or the killing fields of Polpa? All of these things are tragic in their own right, let alone the genocide pursued by Hitler or Stalin's murderous reign, 100 million dead because of socialism, Let's be clear, genocide is the attempt to exterminate an entire people and culture. This is not what has happened to the Palestinians. It is not the goal of Israel of Israeli policy. By contrast, the explicit aim of Hamas is to eliminate Israel. So if we support human rights and oppose persecution, ought we not first to focus our efforts on the places where we find the worst situations? Can anyone rationally claim that among these places, let alone the most horrendous of all, is a small nation on the eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, roughly the size of New Jersey, defending against hundreds of thousands of square miles, people who want to kill them? Number two, internationalism. Leftists tend to support internationalism. One would think that the United Nations would be the world body most dedicated to furthering the same. But how is it that Israel, this small nation, has become such a central concern? From 2003 to 2010, there have been more than 900 human rights actions against Israel at the UN. The next closest is Sudan at just under 400. Israel is the only member of the UN to be excluded from any of the five regional groups and should not, all on the left, oppose the absurdity, absurdity, of the so-called Human Rights Council, whose members include such paragons of humanitarianism as China, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, and many others. How can leftists stand silent when the Turkish prime minister denounces Israel for human rights crimes while then promising that the Kurds will drown in their own blood? He also has a Twitter account, by the way. In a conflict with human rights abuses on both sides and tens of thousands of individuals killed, if Gaza is not the ideal place to live, if the Gazans are suffering. Nevertheless, the photos in the New York Times and elsewhere and the testimony of reporters clearly demonstrate that Gazans are not starving, their store shelves are not empty, and whether for food or consumer goods, as difficult as the situation may be, it is simply not the pinnacle of human rights disasters. And Israel, thus, is not deserving of international condemnation above all other nations in the world. Number three, peace. Leftists want peace, so they say. Some of the biggest war hawks are leftists. In the Middle East and elsewhere, 
Peace is beneficial to all. The polls make clear that overwhelmingly Israelis desire peace with their neighbors. The difficult sacrifices, including the unilateral withdrawal from Gaza, make this evident. Israelis are prepared for a secure two-state solution to live side by side in peace. Meanwhile, the state goal of its enemies is to end its existence. A simple thought experiment should make the matter starkly clear. If tomorrow Hamas and other Palestinian groups unilaterally put down their weapons, what would follow? Peace. If Israelis unilaterally put down their weapons, what would follow? Millions of dead or exiled Jews, period. Anyone on the left who does not recognize this is living in denial, and that's not a river in Egypt. Leftists should support peace and not live in denial. Four, anti-authoritarianism. Leftists oppose authoritarianism and dictatorship and instead support popular democratic rule. Israel maintains a vibrant parliamentary democracy with a broad range of views represented much more so than in the United States, for example. They also follow the letter of the law, unlike the United States. Indeed, Arab parties and communists have long had representatives voted into the Israeli Knesset. Can we imagine some, that's a tough word, K-N-E-S-S-E-T, Knesset. It's Nesset, K is silent. Can we imagine such representation as well as the freedom of assembly and freedom of speech in Israel's Arab neighbors? In the Gaza ruled by Hamas, in Egypt or Syria or Saudi Arabia, by opposing Israel and supporting groups like Hamas, the left is not supporting a libertarian struggle, but rather the effort to replace the Middle East's only democracy with yet another repressive dictatorship. Question, do leftists really desire this outcome? How can the one major effort to boycott, divest, and sanction be aimed at a democratic nation like this? Bernard Henry Levery has written at the Huffington Post and other papers on this, quote, confusion of an era when we combat democracies as though they were dictatorships or fascist states. This maelstrom of hatred and madness is about Israel. But it also concerns, as we should be well aware, some of the most precious things established in the movement. These ideas in the last 30 years, especially on the left, and these are thus imperiled. Number five, human dignity and equality. The left fights for the values of dignity and equality, or these traits exemplified more by Israel or its neighbors. Look at how much Israelis value the life of a single soldier and the willingness to trade hundreds of prisoners for one soldier and even to trade prisoners to recover their dead for proper burial. Look at the rules of engagement, the ROE of the Israeli Defense Force, at how the IDF calls and leaflets civilians to warn them. Does any other military do such a thing? In terms of equality and human rights, compare the state of women's and gay and lesbian rights in Israel with that in the rest of the Middle East, and in terms of human dignity, do people on the left think so little of Palestine dignity that they are willing to claim Palestinians have no choice but to turn themselves into homicidal, suicidal bombers to kill Israeli children? Can we not expect more of people, not just the Israelis, but all of the Middle East? 
Treating Palestinians like helpless victims does less than recognize their human dignity. Anti-discrimination, leftists oppose sexism, racism, and any similar sort of discrimination, and so leftists do or ought to oppose any anti-Semitism in the same way. And yet, leftists too often give a pass to anti-Semitism, masked as anti-Zionism or anti-Israel sentiment. The playwright David Mamet has written in many papers as follows. Yet most of the Western press, European and American pictures Israel as somehow the aggressor and the Israelis as somehow inhuman and uh, delighting in blood. As Mamet has elaborated in his book, The Wicked Son, Anti-Semitism, self-hatred and the Jews is nothing less than a reworking of the old blood libel against the Jews. Except this time, instead of being accused of using non-Jewish blood to bake matzah, the Jews are accused of spilling blood for no other reason than gratuitous pleasure. Leftists ought to be vigilant in distinguishing between constructive criticism of Israel and dehumanizing characters of Jews, end quote. Very powerful. Seven, self-defense. Only the most uncompromising pacifists oppose the right to self-defense, and certainly most leftists uphold this right except for guns, at least when Palestinians are doing the defending. Why are Israelis exempt from this right? How many leftists would sit idly by while rockets rain down on their towns and families with their children traumatized? And if we said, oh, but people are only killed occasionally, would that minimize your commitment to protect your family? Only Jews are expected to lay down their weapons and offer their throats. How dare the Jews have the chutzpah to fight back? Progress. We want movement on Palestinian, Israeli, and Arab Israeli peacemaking. Yet, demonizing Israel, singling it out, as is done at the UN and on college campuses, will do little to advance peace. We all know, have all known for decades, the basic outlines of a peace settlement. The Israelis have been prepared for this and have prepared their citizens. The left should be pressuring Palestinians to accept peace. And to stop teaching their children that Jews are monsters after their blood and teach them how to use hand grenades and rifles at the age of three. This sort of pressure might bring some progress. It was a long time ago for leftists to tear down the poster that features Israel as the demon child of human rights, abuse, and repression. It is time for leftists to become outraged, not over Israel, but over the distortions and demonizations of Israel on college campuses and at the U.N., throughout the media and politics, excluding, including Hollywood. It is time for leftists to reject the treatment of Israel as a pariah or Jews as bloodthirsty murderers and time instead to welcome Israel to the community of nations as a full member, subject to the same criticism and praise as any other nation included. I've said it before, I will say it again. The state of Israel is single-handedly the most important thing in the Middle East that stops terrorist attacks from coming into the United States. Israel is always the first for world events, earthquakes, hurricanes. They're always there helping. Israel helps Europe. They help Africa. They help South America. They're everywhere. They are the one thing stopping the Arab nations from uniting and creating jihad against the Western civilization. We may not agree with everything Israel does. We may not like everything that they do, but they have been the best friend in the Middle East for about 75 years, and my recommendation is that we keep it up. The leftists speak out of both sides of their mouth. 
They claim racism and sexism and xenophobia, yet they do the exact same thing. As long as it's all of them agreeing on it, it's okay. This is the contradiction of the left. And this is why people are sick and tired of their crap. Because they don't make any sense. All they do is conjecture. They have vitriolic words for anyone who disagrees with them. And they are on the world stage and they have the pulpit and their rhetoric isn't slowing down. It's speeding up as fast as they're spending. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Please stop by, say hello, come to my website at don'tunfriendme.com. I would appreciate it. I will end the show like I always do. Remember, we can agree, we can disagree. You may love me or hate me. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. All I ask in the end is that you don't unfriend me. Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. 22 veterans a day are committing suicide because of traumatic brain injury, PTS, anxiety, and depression. It is all too real. Our men and women of the military come home changed, and they need to talk to somebody. If you don't know how to have that conversation, find another veteran. We can help. I can help. I will call. I will fly out whatever it takes. Please lean on me if you need some help to talk to a veteran. If that doesn't work, you can go to don'tunfriendme.com. Click on the VCL link. You'll be connected to a Skype operator live to talk to a VCL operator. If you are a civilian, they will not turn you away. Feel free to call it in case of an emergency, and they will get you the help you need as well. Veteran Crisis Hotline, folks, it is an amazing, amazing thing. You might notice that I've got a little flag right here on the new mic. That is the thin blue line. It is police week. And let's go ahead and thank a cop. Hug a cop. Aaliyah, law enforcement agency, all of them are extremely important. Our first responders and EMS as well. God bless our police force. They watch over us and they get paid a small salary to do what they do. And they should be honored and respected. Maybe we should defund Hollywood and leave the police where they're at, or at least give them a raise. Folks, thanks for you. Thank you for watching my show. That's 151, 152 tomorrow. Go Avs, go Stros. Let's beat the Kings tonight. Let's beat them tomorrow and get this uh, President's Cup. That would be an amazing thing for me. Thank you, folks. I will see you tomorrow.